Amen. If you have your Bibles, Book of Philippians. Book of Philippians, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There should be one in the seat back in front of you, around you, somewhere. If you still can't find one, that's okay. The words will be on the screen in just a few moments. But today, we begin a new sermon series in this book called Philippians. This short letter was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Now, he was not in prison in Philippi when he's writing this. He's in prison in Rome while writing this. And it's all because of the message of Jesus. And so today's kind of message is kind of an introduction to this letter, kind of an overview, if you will, to this letter. And we'll dissect it here in the next many weeks. But we encounter Paul when he's writing this letter, we encounter him at a time when he is in extreme darkness. We encounter Paul at a time when he is in extreme darkness. Again, he is literally in chains writing this letter. Yet despite the darkness, Paul is considerate of others. He's content in everything. He's confident for the future. And he is consumed with a spirit of rejoicing a spirit of joy, and a spirit of thanksgiving, despite the darkness. And thus, Paul is seeking to compel his readers and us, who also find themselves perhaps in darkness, to be like him. And again, I believe God is seeking to compel us, who we might find ourselves in darkness, to be Likewise, like Paul, to be considerate, content, confident, and consumed. And you might be asking, well, how is that possible? It's possible, as Paul will present, as we'll see in this series, it's possible if we adopt and maintain the same mindset as Jesus. Which, as we'll see, is a kind of transformative mindset, that compels us and enables us to trust and believe that God is with us in the darkness. Emmanuel, God with us. We're not alone in the darkness. You're not alone in your darkness. God is with us in the darkness. We have each other as partners in the gospel ministry. Together, we have each other. And God is with us in the darkness. But also it's a transformative mindset that compels and enables us to trust and believe that God is still at work in and through the darkness, even though it may seem like he's not. It's also a transformative mindset that compels and enables us to trust and believe that God will eventually end the darkness. So my prayer for me and for you and for us as we walk through this letter together, that we too would begin, if we don't already begin to possess a transformative mindset, one like Jesus, one like Paul, that we too would rejoice always, choose joy, give thanks, despite whatever darkness is you might find yourself in. That we too would be considerate of others, content in all things and in everything, and confident for the future. Again, despite whatever darkness we might be in. Now, in order to know where this book is coming from, 
where Paul might be coming from, we need to summarize a couple of events in Acts chapter 16. You don't have to turn there, but you can at least mark it down and go back and read it maybe this week or the next couple of weeks. We need to summarize a couple of events in Acts chapter 16. So imagine for a moment that you're with Paul and his group of travelers, Timothy being one, Silas being another, Luke at times, and others, and you're trying to get into Asia. Asia, which is modern-day Turkey today. So you're with Paul and his group, and you're trying to get into Asia, the northeast side of the Mediterranean Sea we're talking about, the, the place that is just east of Greece. You're trying to get into Asia. That's your passion. That's your desire. That's your motivation. That's your goal to get into Asia to advance the message of Jesus. But God, as we see in Acts 16, shuts the door. But God shuts the door. So what do you do? With Paul, you try to find out a different way to get what you want. And so they travel a different route, and they try to get into Asia from a different location. But again, God shuts the door. Now, if you're with Paul in that group in Acts chapter 16, in this moment, you're probably feeling three things. Discouraged, disappointed, and defeated. That's what most of us feel when God shuts a door. It's where some of you might be feeling right now. You feel discouraged. You feel disappointed. You feel defeated. Because what you wanted, what you were after, your goal, your aim and all of it, God has shut a door to it. But what God reveals to Paul and his group in Acts 16 is that with God, sometimes a closed door to that means an open door to this. God reveals to them that with God, sometimes a closed door to that means an open door to this. So God shuts the door to Asia, but right after that, he opens a door to a place called Macedonia, northern part of Greece. If you ever hear somebody call the Macedonian call, if anybody starts talking about that, it was a call that, that Paul got from the Lord through a dream to go to Macedonia. So God shuts the door to Asia, but opens the door to Macedonia to go west into modern-day Greece. And they eventually land in a city called Philippi. This is the ruins of it, of course. But Philippi was, at this time, a leading city in Macedonia. It was located on the Via Ignatia, which is a major east-west kind of bridgeway for Rome. It was, as one person said, like an umbilical cord to Rome, and it connected Rome, Philippi did, to the places and to the provinces in the Eastern world by land. So it was a political, it was a commercial center for Rome in Eastern Macedonia and really for Eastern Europe. So it's a Roman military town. There's a lot of retired military people living in Philippi. We kind of know what that's like in Enid, right? And one might describe the culture and the context of Philippi more as Roman than Greek at that time when Paul arrives in Macedonia. So here's Paul with his group. They arrive in this Roman-ruled, Roman-occupied European city known as Philippi, and Paul hangs out there for many days with his group. And on one Sabbath day, 
which again, for the Jews, Sabbath is Saturday. And on one Sabbath Saturday, they're going out of the city of Philippi to a river to spend some time in prayer. And they meet a group of women at this time. And there's a lady in this group named Lydia. Now, Lydia was a seller of purple goods, which means that she was either wealthy or she worked with the wealthy. Because purple anything at this time was usually going to be very rare and expensive or at least worn by royalty and the wealthy. So Lydia had an inroad to the elite in Philippi, those with platforms, those with influence. And Lydia becomes a believer and is baptized because Paul and his group engage with them with the gospel message and everything. And they end up spending time in Lydia's home. And there's a very good chance that the church in Philippi began meeting in Lydia's home. Then later on, as we see in Acts 16, Paul's still hanging out in Philippi. It's another Sabbath day. And Paul and his group are being followed by this slave girl. And she is filled with the spirit of divination. So in other words, she was a fortune teller and she made a killing for her owners. A lot of money for them. But Paul casts the spirit out of her. She loses her ability to be a fortune teller and the men lose their source of income. As a result, they instituted an attack on Paul and Silas, a a protest, a riot on them. And they get Paul and Silas and perhaps some others, and they literally get them in the center of this mob, and they begin to beat them and beat them and beat them profusely. So Paul, in essence, is bruised and bloodied and just in bad, bad shape. And then that gets broken up, and they throw Paul and Silas into prison. They're in Philippi. So here he is in this prison in Philippi, and it's here that Paul and Silas, that very night, in the middle of the night, after being beat up significantly and wrongfully imprisoned, they are worshiping and praising God in this little cell. God brings about an earthquake, chains fall off the prisoners, but no prisoner leaves. The jailer comes, the warden, so to speak, comes, and he's full of fear. He thinks all of the prisoners perhaps escaped, and he's going to be blamed for this. But he's full of fear and terror, but Paul says, hey, hey, Philippian jailer, just stop. And he encourages him and shares the message of Jesus, and the jailer becomes a believer along with his whole household. And through these events and their time in Philippi, we see the first church planted in Europe. Now that gospel movement continues to spread throughout Europe for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And then that gospel movement arrives on the shores of North America and spreads throughout North America and Central America and so on for hundreds of years. And now here we are 2,000 years later, after Paul arrives in Philippi, and the gospel movement is spreading like wildfire right now all around the world. Many people are saying it's spreading like it was in the first days of the church. And one of the places it's spreading, even though you wouldn't hear about this in the news, one of the places it's spreading like wildfire is modern-day Asia. Again, with God, sometimes a closed door to that means an open door to this. 
His plans sometimes are so much bigger and better than our plans. Actually, all the time they are. And that open door for Paul led to the first church in Europe in this city called Philippi. And years later, after the events in Acts 16, Paul again is in prison. He's in a different prison now. He's most likely in prison in Rome. And he is in extreme darkness. He's in extreme darkness as he's writing this letter. And he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And his readers, although they continue to support Paul via their partnership in the gospel movement through prayer and financial gifts, which we'll look at later, but despite that support, his readers in Philippi are poor, they're persecuted, and they're petrified. They're full of fear. I needed another P word. But they're petrified and, at what is happening to Paul and what might happen to them being partners with Paul. They also are in darkness. And based off Paul's words, it appears they feel alone in the darkness. Man, is God with us in this? Perhaps they're also full of despair in the darkness. Man, is God really at work in and through this darkness? Like seriously, Paul, you're in chains. Look around you. Is God really at work in and through that? Perhaps they are full of despair in the darkness. And one person said it like this. Despair is the incapacity to trust or believe in any new or good future. Man, what can God really do in and through this? So it seems they feel alone in the darkness, perhaps questioning if God is at work in and through the darkness. And no doubt they are wondering, will there ever be an end to this darkness, to Paul's chains, to perhaps their poverty and their persecution and their fear? And maybe, maybe, just maybe that's where some of us are today. Personally, with your family, at work, with physical health, with emotions, spiritually, you see what's going on around in our community, or our state, our country, or perhaps the world, and you feel alone. Or you feel despair. You've somehow found yourself with the incapacity to trust in any new or good future. So you feel despair. Or you feel that perhaps there will never be an end to this darkness, whatever that is for you. But Paul is about to remind them, and God is about to remind us, say, hey, listen, we're not alone in the darkness. You're not alone in the darkness. We have each other, yes, but also God is with us in the darkness. Emmanuel, God with us. And God is still at work in and through the darkness, and God will bring an end to the darkness. So despite how you feel, despite what circumstances may look like and feel like, despite how long your darkness may last, despite all that, be considerate of others. Be content in everything. Be confident for the future. Be consumed with a spirit of rejoicing and joy and thanksgiving despite the darkness. You say, well, how is that possible? How can I do that? It's possible by adopting and maintaining the same mindset as Jesus. A transformative mindset. So look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 really quickly. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Paul and 
Timothy. This is the same Timothy that he wrote First and Second Timothy to. Timothy was one of his companions in that group with him in Acts 16. Timothy was a young pastor. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all of God's holy people, to the church in Christ Jesus at Philippi, the city in Macedonia, together with the overseers or the elders, the pastors, and the deacons. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul writes. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Notice these words, all and always. Because of your partnership, you're with me in this, in the gospel, from the first day until now. And I'm being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, as he currently was, or defending and confirming the gospel, which he also currently was, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection or the love of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, for the appearing of Jesus, that moment, that day. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Again, all throughout this letter, Paul shows through his words that he is considerate of others, content in everything, confident for the future, and that he is consumed with the spirit of rejoicing, joy, and thanksgiving. But even here, in his opening comments, we see these characteristics and his mindset at work. He tells his readers, he's in chains, remember. And he tells his readers that he is remembering them. That they are in his thoughts, in his mind. That he's longing for them with the affection or love of Jesus. That they are in his heart. And he's praying for them always. They're always in his prayers. In other words, he's considerate of others. Despite the darkness he might be in. And as he's writing these things, we can already sense in his disposition that he's full of rejoicing that he's choosing joy and giving thanks to God quite literally he says he thanks God he prays with joy now if you're one of his readers and you're poor persecuted and petrified at what is happening to Paul and what might happen to you as a fellow partner in the gospel work and you're beginning to read or listen to this letter all you can seem to ask or wonder is how Like, if you just place yourself in the shoes of Paul, how, Paul, how can you, in such a time as this that you're in, be considerate of us? How can you be content in this situation? How can you be confident for the future? How can you know that what God has begun in us, he will carry it on 
to completion until the day of Jesus. Again, Paul, all throughout his letters, always has the appearing of Jesus on the horizon. It's his confidence, it's his hope, it's his assurance. How, Paul, though, can you give God thanks? How can you pray with joy? Paul, you're in prison. Think about what has happened to you. Look around what's going on in the culture and the world. Look at what might happen to us, your partners in this. Paul, how can you have this disposition in the darkness? How can you even begin a letter like this in such a way? How can you have this disposition in the darkness? Well, again, Paul has this disposition in the darkness because he has a secret sauce in the recipe, so to speak. His secret sauce is a transformative mindset, a mindset like Jesus. Because here's the thing, it's clear throughout Paul's letters and the book of Acts, and it's very clear in the book of Philippians, that Paul sought to arrange and to live his life like Jesus. Paul sought to live like Jesus, fully and in every way. He truly sought to live the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus. Even in verse 1, he reminds us that he is a doulos of Jesus. It's a word that doesn't mean servant. It's, it's quite literally a word that means slave. He is owned by Jesus, ruled by Jesus. Jesus is his Lord. And this is not by coercion. It's not by force. It's not under delusion. But willingly and freely and joyfully and openly, he is under the lordship of Jesus. And part of living the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus is to adopt and maintain the mindset of Jesus. It's to adopt and maintain the mindset of Jesus. Mindset, this word that Paul uses often in this, this letter, specifically the mindset of Jesus, is a huge theme coursing through this letter. And the mindset is even part of the content of Paul's prayers. As he prays for this knowledge and this depth of insight, a mind like Christ. Now what Paul is seeking with this letter is not necessarily to present some kind of deep philosophical argument or set of facts for us to accept and thereby apply. It's a different kind of letter than that. He's writing a specific kind of letter in which he is presenting to us a villain. Someone who sets their minds on the flesh earthly things. He's presenting to us a villain and a hero. Someone who sets their minds on Jesus, on heavenly things. So again, what Paul does in this letter, you'll see it, he presents to us a hero and a villain. And he's seeking to get us to do what he has done and is in the process of doing as he writes this letter. That is Follow, meaning adopt and maintain the hero's example. Look at your two examples. Discern which one is the best one to follow. The one who sets their mind on Jesus, who is, has the mindset like Jesus, or the one who sets their minds on earthly things, who has the mindset of the flesh. As one source said in talking about this, listen, always be an emulator, dear friend, of virtuous people. 
For it is better to be well spoken of when imitating good men than to be reproached by all men when following evil men. In other words, you have a villain and a hero. Who will you follow? Who will you emulate? So the question then is, as Paul will seek to answer in this book, who is the hero we are to follow? Well, for Paul, the hero is the one at the heart of this letter, the one who is at the heart of this book, the one who is at the heart of the story of the good news for all people, the one whose life and message is the source of all life and goodness and rejoicing and joy and thanksgiving and so on, the hero who compels and enables us to be considerate of others, content in everything, confident for the future, consumed with the spirit of rejoicing, joy, and thanksgiving, despite the darkness. The hero is Jesus. And in Philippians 2, Paul is building up to this. Paul presents the image of Jesus through the lens of the mindset of Jesus. And it's through this poetic presentation that Paul gains the meat to the rest of this book from beginning to end. It's like the the bones to the body of this letter. And this is what he writes in Philippians 2. Just listen to these words. He says, have the same mindset as Jesus. Jesus who... Being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the most inhumane object there was in the Roman world, the cross. Therefore, though, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God's the Father. That's the hero Paul is calling us to emulate to follow, to have the same mindset as Jesus. Jesus, God himself, who became a human being, who was betrayed by those closest to him, abandoned, a victim of injustice, brutally beaten and tortured until his abusers just got bored or tired. He was spit on, mocked, humiliated, shamed, bullied, publicly and horrifically killed. Jesus experienced and endured extreme, extreme, extreme darkness on a very intimate, personal, tangible level. Yet all the while, he was considerate of others. He did this for us. Yet all the while he was content in everything. Not my will, but your will be done. In all this, he was confident in the future. That the Father would take him out of that grave. And he was consumed with rejoicing and joy and thanksgiving. Even the night Jesus was betrayed, he instituted the Lord's Supper 
The bread and the cup, which we'll partake of in just a moment. Communion, some people call it. Others call it after this Greek word, Eucharist, which literally means thanksgiving. To be thankful. It's a word used in the gospel accounts. It's a word that reminds us that knowing what his body was about to endure, knowing how much blood would be poured out for the sins of the world, despite that darkness, Jesus gave thanks. He was considerate of others, content in everything, confident in the future, and consumed with rejoicing, joy, and thanksgiving because Jesus possessed a transformative mindset. A mindset that compelled and enabled him to trust and believe that God was with him in the darkness. That God was still at work in and through the darkness and that God eventually would end the darkness. That God would see to it that what he began in Jesus, he would complete. So how could Paul be so considerate and content and confident and consumed? It's because he had adopted and maintained the mindset of Jesus. And as we're already beginning to see in these opening words, he's calling us to do the same. While Paul reminds us of the grace and peace from God, the one who's with us in our darkness. And even as we keep reading, we find that Paul's chains are not in vain. That God is at work in and through the darkness. And Paul reminds us that what God has begun in us, he will see to it. That it is completed. Meaning the darkness will end at the appearing of Jesus when the time of completion comes. And that our lights and momentary troubles will achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, like Paul, like Jesus, he's calling us to possess a transformative mindset. Let us be considerate of others, content in everything, and confident in the future. Let us be consumed with the spirit of rejoicing, joy, and thanksgiving, despite the darkness. And I find it timely that we start this book with the Lord's Supper. Because if we're to have that same transformative mindset of Jesus, we we have to just come and sit at the table, so to speak, and to consider his body given, his blood poured out, his mindset that we're called to emulate. We're called to remember as we seek to live the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus by adopting and maintaining that same mindset as Jesus. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite Lisa Ford. I'm going to invite our deacons to come down. We're going to just have a time of prayer Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that man, do not partake of the cup and the bread in an unworthy manner. For some of us, that means we we need to confess some sins to the Lord. We've been living in sin, we've been doing things, saying things, not doing things, not saying things. He's called us to purity, to confess those sins, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive us those sins. So for some of us, it's confessing those sins. For others of us, it's just coming to the table, getting our hearts and minds ready to partake, to remember, to reflect, to renew, to re-engage in this life of living the way of Jesus under the Lordship of Jesus. So spend a moment just yourself in prayer. And here in a moment, I'll close this and give us instructions before 
we take of the bread and the cup. Here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and then the deacons will pass out the bread, and we partake of this as followers, as believers of Jesus and in Christ. So if you're, another, if you're an unbeliever, I encourage you to, to refrain. If you say, man, I'm just not in the right heart and mind right now, then I encourage you to refrain. But for everybody else, we will grab that piece of bread as it comes around and just hold on to it and then partake of it together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for Jesus. His life, his body, given for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.